Yesterday's concert is a proud member of the Pantheon Media Network. What have I done? The pain was surreal. I tugged at the wound, hoping to release some pressure. The ringing was incessant. I'd heard tales about this stuff, but in my youthful arrogance, I thought it'd never happened to me. Besides, I was in the nosebleeds, the safest place in the venue. Losing focus on the road, I swerved between lanes. I released my wound and grabbed the steering wheel. The night roads would show me no mercy if I didn't get a grasp on things. Maybe I should pull over and see if the pain subsides. The anguish was sending me into madness. Aside from the ringing, my ear was in physical pain. The discomfort was borderline torture. No wonder people go insane when they have tinnitus. A regular late night post-concert drive home was accompanied by lots of loud music to keep me awake. Tonight's drive was sponsored by silence. Earlier I tried some music, but even at a low volume my ear sensitivity was unbearable. However, without the music, there was a bigger problem. Silence was much worse. It was deafening. In silence, the squeal found freedom as my torturer. Ramsey Bolton had nothing on this one. I tugged at my earlobe, praying that this would be the pool that releases the demons trapped inside my ear. I grabbed the top of my ear to open the canal as much as possible. Nothing changed. When I got home, I lay in bed, writhing in discomfort. The high-pitched tone was ever-present. There was no relief to be found. It had been four hours since the concert ended, and it wasn't easing up. The Bob Seger line about the amplifier still ringing replayed in my head. Was this the price of my rock and roll desires? Had I finally done it? Had I sacrificed my greatest love for one night of simple pleasure? I tugged at my ears again, hoping and praying that this would be the pool. No matter which direction I jerked, nothing changed. It was like my ears had gone ten rounds with Tyson. I cupped my ears, massaged them, and I even took a hot shower hoping it might relieve the pressure. Nothing changed. Sitting on my couch, I watched the sunrise through the window. This was it. This was my destiny. For years, people joked about losing my hearing from all the concerts. I'd heard loud shows, I'd had some mild discomfort, but nothing had taken me down like this. I debated putting a record on. One last dance before everything slipped into darkness. I lay on the couch, closed my eyes, and prayed this would be over soon. But my prayers fell on deaf ears. Welcome concert goers, music fanatics, and girls, girls, girls. My name is Lance Ingram, and in the season three finale of yesterday's concert, our jam journal takes us to August 15th, 2014. Grab your earplugs as we go to the Oak Mountain Amphitheater in Birmingham, Alabama for Motley Crue. There was a buzz going around my high school. No, it wasn't the clap. It was the excitement that was only found in the small town of an entertainmentless state. A concert was coming to town. Well, technically the town over, but nonetheless, live music was coming to Mississippi. It wasn't another country act, nor some bar band. No, this was a big one. Well, big 20 years ago, 
But Mississippi was still pretending it was 20 years ago, too. Anyway, they were still a legendary rock band. You find a way to go to the Motley Crue show tonight? My friend Samantha asked me. Samantha sat across from me in my art class. She was a senior, a music nerd, a stoner, and the epitome of cool. Nope, my parents aren't budging. I replied. Why don't you sneak out? We'll pick you up. We can meet you around the corner from your house. I've given up. I don't think it's going to happen this time. Well, that sucks. I'll be sure to rock out for you then. Motley Crue was bringing their Carnival of Sins tour to Jackson, Mississippi, and I wasn't allowed to attend the circus. What kind of parents don't let their kids go to the circus? My parents weren't too keen on sending their teenager to an event called the Carnival of Sins. In retrospect, as an adult now, I kind of get it. I could find trouble on my own. I didn't need it served to me on a silver platter by Tommy Lee. But the thing that mattered most to me was I was missing a chance to see one of Classic Rock Radio's staple artists. Z106.7, the Central Mississippi Classic Rock Station, was the heartbeat of my musical genesis. It formed every musical opinion I've ever had. If you've listened to almost any episode of my show, you already know this. Classic Rock is the root of my musical taste. For years, I was a card-carrying member of the Classic Rock Army. Motley Crue was another one of the bands that Classic Rock Radio told me I was supposed to like. Alongside Leonard Skinner and the Allman Brothers, Motley Crue was played at the top of every hour. It was a salacious recall of the good old days, a time when rock and roll ruled the world. It was a better time for its listeners. But even in my teenage idolization of rock and roll revelry, I was indifferent towards the crew. I thought they were kind of campy, even by 1980 standards. Were it not for classic rock radio cramming girls, girls, girls down my ears, I imagine my opinion would have been different today. I believe that's called Stockholm Syndrome, right? But in 2006, 80s metal royalty was playing in Mississippi, and I was at home playing video games. The next day, the cool kids were easily identifiable. The Motley Crue tour shirt was riding the backs of my peers everywhere I looked. They were so proud of their new gear. It was awesome. It was so loud. Did you see that guitar solo? The tired souls that had rock and rolled all day and partied all night couldn't wait to share their experiences. It was bad enough overhearing it in the halls, but most of all, I dreaded going to art class. It would be 90 minutes of captivity. Sitting at our table, I watched Samantha walk through the door. Grinning ear to ear, tired bags beneath her eyes, her hair pulled into a pony. She dropped into her seat. She pinched the armpits of her shirt and lifted them towards me. The fresh black tour shirt stretched to fill my periphery. Lance. That's all she needed to say. I sat in my chair, a gaping wound across my chest. Blood splattered my Led Zeppelin shirt and poured to the ground. She held the salt shaker above my head as I pleaded with her. No. No, please. Please don't. It was the best show ever. It was so loud. When they played Dr. Feelgood, I thought the building was going to fall apart. She shook the shaker some more. I watched the salt fall like an avalanche into the open wound. It stung and burned. She pinned my arms and shook it harder. There was one part where Tommy Lee was talking to the crowd. He was like, It's so hot in Mississippi. I think I need to lose my pants. Lance, he ripped his pants off. Then he started talking, It's still so hot. And I thought he was going to strip naked, Lance. Okay, that part might have put a little salve on it. But still. The entire class was a barrage of stories from Samantha. It was a bittersweet moment of revelry. Albeit jealous, I was happy for her. I loved to hear the stories of concerts, but I wish they were mine. I stared at her shirt, 
the band members featured on the front. They looked so rock and roll. Long hair, earrings, tattoos, gritty faces, black leather. It was the picturesque ideal of what I longed for as a rock and roll wannabe. The stories that day were constant. I ran into Eric, an 80s obsessed metalhead, and he laid it on thick. He'd seen them a few times before and said it was filthier than any previous performance. I ran into Ray, the realest metalhead I've ever known. He told me it was so loud that people were crying in pain. I even overheard a story about one senior girl who tried to get backstage for some lecherous reasons. I have no clue if she was successful or if it was just high school tall tales. Regardless, the stories were endless. Everyone had a story to tell, except for me. It had been a long day at work. It was one of those up before the dawn and work till the night overtakes the sky kind of days. When I entered my tiny Tupelo apartment, I dropped my bag, turned on the local sports channel, and kicked off my pants. I was too tired to fully undress, so I lay on the couch in a collared shirt and undies staring at the screen. All I wanted was to disassociate for a few hours before I had to get up and do it again. A loud chugging guitar riff erupted from the television. Old video footage of men dressed in tight leather and silly makeup accompanied the music. All bad things must come to an end. The world's most notorious rock band is saying goodbye forever. Friday, August 15th. Tickets on sale now. I'd heard about this. Motley Crue was calling it a day. They're hanging up their leather pants and putting the hairspray back in the cabinet. They were settling down to live out their remaining days as retired rock stars. Stay-at-home rock and roll daddies. Good for them. But we all knew it was a lie. The final tore my butt. The tour announcement video showed all four members signing a legal document stating that no member of the band could ever perform as Motley Crue again. As the commercial said, this was a band that didn't play by the rules. They were notorious. Molly Crew built an entire brand around being misfits. So would a legal contract really keep them at home? At some point, they're going to need a payday. The final tour was a fancy way of saying, we want to generate some extra buzz around our tour. The idea of farewell tours has been besmirched. I'm looking at you, Kiss. They did nothing to deserve the foul name they've been given. There have been too many bands to abuse the moniker in hopes of drumming up some extra butts in seats. In this modern age of aging rock stars, there's no such thing as farewell. There's only saying hello to performing in adult diapers. It's interesting that the classic rock artists we love are setting the precedent for a rock star life that's truly till death do we part. Before these giants walked the earth, you did a decade, two if you were lucky, and then you were sent out to pasture. But these guys come along and start playing in their 40s. They have hits in their 50s and are selling out stadiums in their 70s and 80s. There may only be one original member remaining, but that hasn't stopped the people from shelling out hundreds of dollars to hear their favorite classic rock hits. And I'm just as much a guilty party as anyone else. My excuse is that I wasn't around for the heyday, so at least I can catch the goodbye the first and the second time. Maybe even the third. But in the back of my head was a little voice. What if this is for real? What if Motley Crue never tours again? Dang it, Nikki! Your marketing got to me. They were playing at one of my favorite venues, Oak Mountain Amphitheater. The Birmingham area was a short two-hour drive from Tupelo. The show was on a Friday night, and they had shock rock legend Alice Cooper opening. Why not? Just in case this is for real, I grabbed my credit card and bought a ticket in the topmost section. But typing in the numbers, I could already see the next video. The camera shot is close. It comes into focus. The words Motley Crue, done for good, are in the middle of the screen. The document tears in half. Nikki Six's face breaks through the paper. 
He screams and grits his teeth. In slow motion, the other members come from off screen to join their bandmate. They all cross their arms and the voiceover starts. Motley Crue plays by their own rules. They're back and better than ever, coming to a city near you this summer. Hi, it's Lance from the future. It's 2022 and spoiler alert, you were right, the crew is back. stared out from the stage large enough to see the whites of his pupils Alice Cooper never blinked at the crowd black soulless eyes wide open with his trademark face paint they followed you no matter where you went hello hooray let the show begin I've been ready hello hooray let the lights grow dim Alice's voice could be heard over the cheering crowd the oversized eyes painted on the stage-wide tarp dropped to the ground. The shock rocker legend strode to center stage with his cane. He glared at the audience in response to their applause. With the sun still setting, Alice Cooper in the daylight was like being on the set of your favorite horror film. A little bit different in the light. But he held nothing back. It was still his full show with all the gimmicks and the stunts. He never broke character, even to say goodnight. And the crowd loved it. They laughed, sang along, and lived out their classic rock fantasies, albeit doing so while seated because their knees were sore from walking in from the parking lot. I was enthralled by Cooper's performance. It was one of the better opening acts I've ever seen. Granted, it's Alice Cooper, another darling of classic rock radio. But most disturbing wasn't the beheading zombies, snakes, and blood. It was the decibel levels. If this was only the opener, what was the headliner going to be like? Amidst an explosion of pyrotechnics, lights, sounds, and sirens, the band took the stage. Their retirement party was underway. Still rocking their animal prints, leather, and apparel too tight for someone over 40, they met all the rock and roll cliches right out of the gate. There they were, Motley Crue, loud and blaring. I was wrong about Alice Cooper's set. They hadn't adjusted the volume. If anything, they had turned it up. Even though it was an open-air venue, the sound was distorted and crackled at the peaking levels. The band members ran around the stage posing and dancing. Well, that, that is, except for Mick Mars. He kind of shuffled to his corner and remained there. Lead singer Vince Neil bounced around the stage, virtually skipping with his microphone. His cape-like vest flowed behind his every move. They opened with Saints of Los Angeles, an interesting opener considering the notable size of their greatest hits package. The band strutted and pulled out all the classic rock stadium tropes. They pointed to the crowd, headbanged, stuck out their tongues, and stood on monitors. It was difficult not to get swept up in the grandiosity of the performance. This was the kind of behavior you expect from a band of this caliber. It was cheesy, but so were their songs. But that's what you paid for, and so far they were delivering. Well into the tour by this point, it was obvious that this was a well-rehearsed event, but the crowd was eating it up. They were all out of their seats, singing along and throwing up devil horns. It was a nostalgia trip back to the 80s back to their youth. 
For many, they were seeing their favorite band for perhaps the final time. They weren't. They were going to enjoy it for everything they could. Before the band started same old situation, Nikki took a moment to welcome the audience to the show. Come on, make some f***ing noise tonight. All f***ing right, man. How are you guys doing? We're here to celebrate 30 years of Motley crew. Are you ready? Are you ready for this sh I tell you, it was 1981. You got four drunken guys walking the streets of Hollywood, California, playing a little bit of rock and roll, and 30 years later, we're still right here. We became family then, and your family now. You ready for this sh A woman in leather lingerie emerged from the shadows. She carried a guitar with her. The predominantly middle-aged male audience eagled and awed at the scantily clad actress. I worried that the older gentleman to my right was going to have a heart attack from the excitement. I don't think he'd had that much blood circulation since Motley Crue was actually in the top 40s, which had been at least a decade before this girl was born. Tommy Lee counted the band in and it was a collision of noise, decibels so loud that no instrument was distinguishable from the other. The poor sound system crackled under the heat of the spiking channels. Vince ran to the front of the stage, leaned over his microphone and started the lyrics. Dressed in my own black. I don't want to harp on this because I know it's been mean to death, but I gotta mention it. Vince is a great front man. Not what he used to be, but who is, am I right? He was all over the stage, interacting with fans and ensuring the audience stayed engaged. But his vocals were awful. Completely unintelligible. I'm not even sure he was saying anything. I really think he was just uttering syllables to the melody. If there was ever a wonder if Motley Crue used a backing track, Vince proved they did not. And honestly, you should consider it. There's no shame. Even if Vince wasn't nailing the words, the crowd was. When the crew reached the chorus, the audience took over. The music was so catchy it didn't matter what Vince was singing. Besides, everyone had heard these songs hundreds if not thousands of times. We didn't need to be reminded of what the chorus said. Mick stood statuesque in his corner but his hands moved at lightning speed. His talent was still incredibly impressive given his degenerative disease. With his top hat covering his face, he hunched over his guitar. He ran up the neck of the instrument, sending it squealing and pitching into higher frequencies. My stomach churned at the physical pain of the decibels. It wasn't so bad on the low and heavy notes. But the high-pitched solos were not only shredding the guitar, they were wrecking my eardrums. Mick showed no mercy, though. This was Motley Crue. If it's too loud, then you're too old. They're a fine one to talk. The audio levels were unrepenting and took no prisoners. Every high note from Mick felt like someone shoving a heated scalpel into my ear canal. Soon enough, I began to dread every time Mick took a solo. But the choruses weren't much better. The thunderclap of all the instruments pounding together was a sucker punch to an already beaten fighter. My focus shifted from, cool, can't wait to hear this song, to, dear God, please make it stop. After Vince stopped mumbling and Mick stopped shredding, Nikki addressed the audience again. Alright, motherfuckers, it's time for some church. I was just telling you guys how we got together in 1981, but that's not the whole story. So maybe you guys want to sit down for a second. We'll pretend we're in church. This is going to be a sermon. Sit the f*** down. This is church. This is a story and why we're here tonight. The bass player proceeded to take a trip down memory lane for about 10 minutes. For all the nostalgia he induced, it felt more like the band was still pretending it was 1981. I'm sure those were better days, but this was turning into a lament. I can understand pining for the good times, but come on, man. Don't you think it's time to move on? Of course, I'm a fine one to be calling someone out for recalling the past, right? Tonally speaking, the 80s are my least favorite decade of music. 
The forefathers of rock from the 60s and 70s were either falling apart or dismantled. Those that were still pumping out albums were targeting younger audiences, but younger generations weren't interested in yesterday's news. New bands of the era leaned into synthesizers and oversized drums and echo chambers. Much of the new technology was still primitive and sounded dated. Like so many of my musical heroes, the 80s is a lost decade to me. Aside from dated pop music, the 80s also brought us hair metal, a brand of heavy metal music that's heavier on the makeup than the riff. Fortunately, most of the hair metal bands were left in the nostalgia of the decade, but a few of the bands, such as Motley Crue, had a longer career due to their reputation and the sheer number of hits they generated. Don't mishear me though, I was having fun. It was just obvious that this band was well past their prime. Just because I don't love 80s music doesn't mean I can't appreciate the greater role Motley Crue played in rock and roll. They're a mythic band that set an unreasonable precedent for decadence and squalor. The Dirt, their autobiography should be required reading for any fledgling artist. There will never be another Motley Crue because no other band could survive the attempt. If nothing else, I was paying my classic rock tributes. It was songs like Dr. Feelgood, Livewire, and Girls, Girls, Girls that got me out of my seat and had me singing along. It was a classic rock radio wet dream. We didn't need to understand what Vince was saying to sing along. We knew the tunes. Honestly, he could take a breather and let's play some crew karaoke. And just to note, that crew is spelled with a K there. During Too Young to Fall in Love, I had to find a reprieve. By this point, I was in so much physical pain that it was becoming intolerable. I wandered the venue trying to find a quiet place. Even in the bathrooms, it was louder than many concerts I'd been to before. I wanted to finish the show, but the noise was so loud. I couldn't sustain another minute of it. I walked around the venue and tried to let my ears catch breath. Vince could take a note here. I returned to my seat for Kickstart My Heart, the final song of the main set. The crew threw everything they had into that song. It was a fiery explosion of pyrotechnics, decibels, lights, and extravagance. Remember, we're Motley crew. Nikki shouted as the band left the stage. I couldn't take another note. I had to call it. From the parking lot, I sat on the hood of my car and listened to the band finish their show. It was the power ballad, Home Sweet Home. Ironically, the quietest song of the night. At this point, the performance didn't even matter. I knew I was in trouble. For years, my soon-to-be wife had hounded me about wearing hearing protection to concerts. She'd asked me to call her after the concert, but I didn't want to talk on the phone. The physical pain was too much to bear, even from that small amount of noise. After a few days, the pain became too unrelenting, so I shared it with Anna. She was an audiologist, so I knew she'd be able to help. I couldn't stand it any longer. This was the first time the post-show ringing didn't subside after a few hours. She told me there was nothing to be done but let time heal like it does all things. I'd have to suffer the consequences of my actions. I feared that I had done some permanent damage. For months after that concert, any high-pitched noise would send me into a fit. From the squeal of squeaky brakes to a guitar solo, life was wrecked. Other concerts, even the not-so-loud ones, were catastrophic. The physical pain that had me pulling at my earlobe was gone after a few weeks, but the damage was done. My greatest pleasure in life, listening to music, was on the verge of destruction from one night of recklessness. I was broken-hearted. Fortunately, over time, the symptoms subsided. It was close to a year before I could enjoy a concert again without writhing in pain. It was a lesson learned the hard way. The old phrase, if it's too loud, you're too old, is dumb. 
I'd rather be old and able to hear than deaf and stuck in a bygone era. I want to take a beat before we finish today's episode to encourage every listener to wear earplugs to live music. You may not go to 100 concerts a year, but all it takes is one concert to ruin your hearing forever. Don't sacrifice your future listening for one night of loud rock and roll. Personally, I use Vibes earplugs, V-I-B-E-S. I'll include a link in the show notes, but you can get them almost anywhere online, including Amazon. They were a game changer for me. I wear them to every concert I attend now, including acoustic shows. Without sacrificing the sound quality, it's like they turn the volume down inside my head. If anything, the music sounds better. I don't want to be preachy, so I'll stop here. But please, practice safe jamming. Have a DD if you're going to indulge, help someone up if you mosh, and always grab your earplugs. I'm Lance Ingram, and this is Yesterday's Concert. Thanks for tuning in to another show. Sources and more information on today's show are available on our website, yesterdaysconcert.com. While you're there, check out some old episodes, or connect with us on Twitter, at ConcertPod, or on Instagram, at Yesterday's Concert. And until next time, take care of your shoes. Music